Morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Um, Andrew's, Andrew McGuire is going to come for a few minutes just to share a wee bit about uh, Aspire. I want to hear what ordinary people are doing out in the big bad world. Uh, so come on ahead, Andrew. And uh, while you're doing that, um, I'm still formulating what, uh, what I'm sharing on. Um, so uh, take a few minutes. Yeah, I was still formulating what I was going to say, so I was hoping Neil would speak first, but it's fine. Um, he definitely knew that. It's fine because this is one of the things that I can get up and chat about because this is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, it doesn't take much preparation to talk about Aspire. So for those of you that don't know, um, Aspire, if any of you have listened to the Ordinary People podcast a few weeks ago, um, Mark Knox, who was chatting with Ronnie, is the guy that set up Aspire. And so it was set up as a response, really, a response to the educational attainment gap between rich and poor in education, and also as a response to the church. Um, as a church here, it's actually quite hard to say this as a whole topic because we do it really well. Uh, we do look after the poor, we do um, give, we do go on mission, and we do genuinely care, and we show Jesus. Um, but as a church as a whole, as the institution, uh, the church is very, very poor at this. 70% um, or 80% of, 80% of people within the church have a university degree or equivalent. 70% of young people on free school meals, so young people on uh, below the poverty line, will achieve five GCSEs or less. So if you take a second to think about that, the church is incredibly educated. Young people and families that went, are in poverty are not. And so Aspire was set up as a response to, to, to use what we have within the church and to combat uh, the lack of educational attainment among the poor. And so we started off in 2016 uh, with four young people in one school. Two years later, we have eight schools with 80 places. So we've grown quite a bit. And we have four members of staff, one more coming on in January to work in primary schools. And so, as I said, it, it's different coming here to chat about this because we do this already and we support drop-in. And I don't, really, I don't really ever feel like whenever I'm given on a Sunday, I'm wondering, oh, where's my money going? I'm not too sure about this. I just give. Um, but as I was sitting there, I was also thinking, that I'm guilty of falling into a place of corporate Christianity where we do the stuff, but we almost negate the empathy. We almost negate the responsibility of personally. So we, we give to drop-in ministries. We give to church, and church responds to the need. Or we give to an organization, or we give to a certain thing. I give to church, and I rarely think about where my money's going. I rarely pray about the people that are receiving, and I rarely pray about the... I don't even think about it at times. And I don't know if that's just me, and I'm an awful person, or whether you fall into that category as well. But we, we sometimes, we, we, we negate at times what Jesus called us to. Jesus didn't say, go and give, go and do. Or Jesus didn't say, go and give to an organization so that they can go and do. He said, go and do do as I did. And so that's, I'm preaching to myself there, so that, that is not targeted at anyone. Um, and even as we were singing that song, I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue, and I want to be where you are. In my life, be lifted high. In our world, be lifted high. In our love, be lifted high. And I was sitting there singing that, and then I had to stop because I was thinking, I want to be where you are, but are the people that are crying that out, are we there? We're, we're, are we in a place to be able to go to where you want to be. That's a bit of a tongue twister. 
are we able to be Jesus to the people that need Jesus? So within our schools, we're not just focused on educational attainment. We're also focused on getting people into church. We're not um, apologetic about that. We go into schools and we're able to say freely, we're here because we want to see your young people achieve an education, but we're also here because we want to see them meet Jesus. We have the ability to go into schools and talk to these young people who are 90% unchurched, never been in, inside a church, which is an amazing privilege for us. Um, and I can tell you stories. I don't have time to tell you stories. Come and ask me after and I'll chat to you. But recently, as we were, we, we had a staff retreat and we came to this issue of we need money to be able to function. We need money and we need prayer. We need volunteers. Um, but a lot of the time we're almost apologetic about asking for money, but we're, we, we're, we shouldn't be. And I'm not apologetic because I believe in what we do. And as a staff, we give to what we do as well. And so I can stand here and ask you for money and not feel bad. Um, but basically, there's three things that we need. First of all, prayer, because that is what keeps us going. And that is what allows us to see young people enter the kingdom. Um, this summer, we had seven young people become Christians. Um, and all of them through the Aspire program or through contact with us. And now are all, six of them were unchurched and never been inside a church before and are now weekly being discipled. Um, secondly, we need volunteers. We need people that can come into schools and offer their support for us to act as um, facilitators. And so whether that's you or someone you know, um, come and have a chat with me. Um, and lastly, we need money. And so it takes £20 to sponsor a young person. And actually, as a church, this church, Grace Community, already sponsors two or three young people, as well as drop-in. They, they also support us. And so we are very thankful for that. But if you are sitting here and you're thinking, this is something actually my heart's breaking for, I want to see... I don't want to get to heaven and have a whole social class not be there and Jesus say, why, why aren't they here? And my response has to be because I didn't do anything about it. And so if you're in a place where you, you want to see something happen, then come and have a chat with me. And just one story. And also, if you are not able to give, if you're already given to something, don't stop giving. Or if you're not able to give financially, don't give because then you'll end up in poverty and then we'll have to look after your kids. So don't do that. Um, but... Come and have a chat with me, whether it's five pound. We had a 16-year-old girl last year take on a Saturday job and she gave 20 pound to Aspire. And I'm not asking you to give 20, I'm not asking you to give whatever, but come and have a chat with me if that's something that you would like to do or pray into it. And if it's something that God prompts you to do, come and have a conversation. But thank you for listening. And church is going to change if we continue to do what we do. If we continue to go after the poor and if we continue to go after those that, are not con that don't conform to the way we conform, or don't dress like we dress or talk like we talk, church is going to change. And as I pray about this and as I think about this, there's almost something within me that says, is God is asking, are you ready? Are you ready to see your church not become your church anymore? And so I just want to leave that with you just to think about and uh, to ponder. But thank you very much. I love, uh, I love sitting with Andrew at times and hearing stories of, of uh, conversations that take place with uh, some of these young people. Um, I want to acknowledge other people in the room that do incredible work with young people. Amy is a part of that. Hazel is a part of the work with Reach. Um, and there's maybe others in the room. But the thing that I love more than anything is the, is the language that these guys are using. And so there's, event, there's places that I go to and, uh, and, and leaders will stand up at a platform and, and talk about the state of the society that we live in and, uh, and talk about how young people have no manners anymore and they talk about how they're their behavior is a disgrace. And, and part of me is sitting on listening to that and, and thinking, yeah, there's times that that's right, but who's coming in, with, a, who's coming in with, the, with the counter here? Who's standing up here with a, with a different spirit? And regardless of behavior, 
regardless of the labels that society has placed on them, who's going to sit with them? Who's going to sit across a table with them eye to eye? And let me challenge you with that. Like, I'm, I'm challenged. I, I feel like I've been challenged the last couple of weeks as a father, as a parent. When was the last time I sat across the table and looked at my child in the eye? What are you, what are you, what are you dreaming about, son? What are, you, what are you longing for? So it doesn't matter whether your child is, is, is four or 34. When was the last time you sat across the table and you, and you, and you just shifted the, the, the narrative? And so, so often the, the level of self-esteem, that right, Andrew, the level of self-esteem that so many of these young people are carrying is, is heartbreaking. And, the, and, uh, and, so I, and so I love that Andrew and the guys were able to sit down with them. And, and even though their behavior is the same, they, they see the same behavior as everybody else sees, but actually we're going to come, we're going to sit with them. We're going to find out where this comes from and we're going to speak, we're going to speak a different language over them. We're going to speak a different destiny over these young boys and girls, these young men. And, uh, and so we, we love that, Andrew. We love that you're part of our family. We love what you're doing. We love what you guys are doing, Hazel. And, uh, and so we want, to, we want to keep giving moments where we are challenged with that, like... Just be challenged by that. And whatever way you're challenged, whether that prompts you to pray, uh, to give, or to volunteer. And this is just a personal thing for me. I'm not speaking on behalf of Aspire or Reach, but one of the things that I, as I look on at the volunteers that are coming through, they're, they're all in their 20s. And, uh, and maybe that's what you're after. Maybe that's what you want. But I am, I am longing to see, to see men and women who have been there and done that in their 40s and 50s and 60s to sit with young people. At times, there maybe that might be awkward and, uh, and young people might look at you strangely, but I think more than, more, than any, more than ever, we're needing older people, we're needing aunts and uncles and grannies and grandas to sit with young people because they've been so used to an older generation giving off about their behavior, telling them what they're worth, telling them the direction that their life is heading, and so they need older people. To, sh- to change that narrative, and so uh, those in your thirties, forties, and fifties, I would urge you, challenge you to pray about even possibly volunteering. Good stuff. Can I pray? Let me pray for. If you're around, Andrew, why don't you why don't you lay hands? If you're even for those that are around Hazel, can we do that? Anybody else that works for young people, that would be great. Uh, maybe somebody reach out towards Amy. Oh, even Julie down at the back, be great. Yeah, Father. So we, um, ordinary people, wanting to put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice for the sake of the world, and uh, and we choose to believe that young people made in your image, God choices that have made, consequences of decisions that have that they have even had no control over, but face the consequences of those decisions that have been made on their behalf, God, we, we choose today to see them as those made in your image, those precious in your sight, those of infinite value, of unsurpassable worth. And we choose to see, uh, with, because of the cross, we choose to see them through that lens. And so we thank you for those that will sit in a room and, uh, and just be with, just be with. And at times when that is, is awkward and difficult in times where there's moments where it doesn't shift the behavior. Thank you for those that are willing to sit with. Thank you for, for Hazel and the work of Rachel. You bless her and bless them. Thank you for Andrew. Thank you for his heart. Thank you that it's moments of it on display here today. And we pray that you would bless him and Mark and Maddie and, uh, and the wider team. God, just bless them as they continue to serve as Amy works alongside. God, we just pray that you would 
that you would bless them, God, we pray as they continue to shift the language, God, there would be shift the narrative that has been spoken over these young people and come with a different spirit, come with a different language, come with a, with a different posture, God, I thank you for them and you bless them. And God, the places that Julie finds herself in, God, we thank you for Julie and we pray that you would, that you would bless her, that you continue to use her, God, in that, uh, in that area of just sitting with young people. God, something would shift as they see and experience that they're truly valued, that there's truly something uh, within them that is worth fighting for. And thank you for those in the room that will choose to fight for them, that will choose to contend for them. And we bless them. And uh, we pray that you would challenge us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andrew. This morning is one of, the, one of these mornings where, so just that you know, I, uh, every morning, every time that I'm here to, get up to speak I, I I just be riddled with nerves like just constantly in that place of oh god please let me have heard from you can I do this all of that sort of stuff in the moment in that threshold moment of walking here that's what's going on in my head more often than not but the smart mornings like this are I find them even challenging because uh, as you'll know the last four weeks Neville's taken us through the story of Elijah. Dave was here from Madlog. And so that's four weeks. Four weeks to prepare for one sermon. So, uh, so, this, so all week, all week I was ready. I had all my information. I had all the best Bible verses. And I had all the best quotes that I could possibly bring to this uh, subject. That I was so convinced that, that I was to speak on this morning. On a Friday night, as uh, me and Neville were in the prayer, prayer room on a Friday night, um, something just just had this moment. Just felt like there was a significant moment that I had in the presence of the Lord, and uh, I and I pretty much remained silent the whole hour. Neville spoke. Neville prayed for one hour. That is amazing. I could not believe it. I but I just sat and I think he did. I don't know. There was there was a part of me just felt like something stirred within me, and uh, and I was still thinking through it yesterday morning and yesterday afternoon. It was like. I felt so clearly the Lord had, like, you've got, you've got Sunday morning wrong. I felt like saying, you could have told me that four weeks ago. And, um, and so this morning, I, I, I'm sort of asking that you bear with me, because it feels like just yesterday afternoon, just beginning to write down, just beginning to scribble notes on what I felt God was doing, what he was saying in me. And, and maybe it's for me, but I felt like it was more than just for me. And, and, uh, and so that's a bit of a disclaimer this morning sat in the prayer room on, on Friday night and felt like it was almost like it was audible. It wasn't audible, but it, it was almost that clear. It felt like it was, if that makes sense. It was like this gentle word, son, awaken your imagination. Awake, awake your imagination. And that just became the refrain of my heart for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Awaken my imagination. Awaken our imagination. Our imagination, this the faculty that we have been given of forming new ideas and forming new images and new concepts. It's the ability of the mind to be creative, to be formative, and to be resourceful. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, um, according to the power that, that is at work within us, to do more than we could ever uh, ask or imagine. And I don't know what version you're, you're reading from this morning. But I want to I want to contend for this a wee bit because most of our versions I think say ask or think, ask or think. The NIV, the NIV version, 
There's maybe others, but the NIV version, I think, is the only one that seems to say, ask or imagine. And I think it's really important because in our, in our English, I think when we hear the word think, it's like a, it's like a, just like what's going on in our, in our minds, the things that we contemplate, the information that we contemplate, the information that we think through. The original, if we were to go back to translate it from the original, it is this word imagine, it is this word to envision, it is this word to creatively formulate an idea in the, with the eyes of your mind. And, and I think as I, as, I, as I was really honest before the Lord, it's like I, I don't feel like we can bring this on a Sunday morning talking about imagination. Because I think maybe possibly for many of us in the room growing up in Western Christianity, we've, we've thought of the imagination as being in the world of fantasy. Imagination, that's the thing for, for make-believe. On, on Wednesday morning or Wednesday night in, in the living room, I, I felt like some of the takeaway moments for me as, as Neville's taking us through the story of Elijah is that Elijah refused to separate the sacred and the secular. There is no separation, and that's what the prophetic voice does. It, refu- it, it does not allow a separation between the sacred and the se- secular. God has a say in it, ever, in, a, in it all. God has something to say in every place, in every space, in every, everything that we, that we do or think. And so if I can try to challenge you a wee bit, I, I feel like in our Western Christianity, we have assumed that information automatically leads to transformation. We're longing for transformation. I'm longing for personal transformation. I'm longing for community transformation. I'm longing to see this place transformed. And I think there's times where I assume, I assume that information is going to be the, is going to be the catalyst. More information will, be, will automatically translate into transformation. And I'm not so sure that that's right. Because I think, I want to suggest that we are possibly the most informed generation that there's ever been. But I'm not sure that we are the most transformed generation. And so I think there has to be something more. There has to be something more than just what we think. Just in this mental ascent, just in thinking more and gathering more information. There has to be something more. Because clearly, I feel clearly there information, the more information has not led to more transformation. And as I go back for the last couple of years, I've found myself going back to the, being fascinated by the lives of the the desert fathers, those early church leaders, and just, and just watching what was, what happened, watching what took place in the lives of, of these men and women throughout, throughout history. And as I, and as I, as I think about where we sit now in 2018, I, I want to I say to you, I feel like we have forgotten how to use our imagination. I feel like a real personal call, but I feel like offering it to us all this morning that there is an opportunity, that there is a call for us to restore our imagination, for our imaginations to be redeemed. And, and again, I'm so, I feel so aware that there's maybe those cautious of this language. Because you just automatically equate it. Imagination, that's for fantasy. That's for make-believe. That's for when you want your kids to get off their screens. Go and use your imagination. We place it in a, in a different category. We place it in make-believe. And, and I think we identify imagination as something that, that takes us away from truth. 
but I want to suggest I feel like our imagination could be awakened in such a way that would cause us to experience the truth. That our imagination is not something that, that causes us to walk away from truth, but something that we can use to experience truth. If you want to go to, if you want to, go to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, the very first verse, something along these lines, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Confidence, this confidence, the writer, to, the writer of this letter is saying that, that, uh, that our faith, it's confidence. It's a confidence of what we hope for, even though we can't physically see it. Confidence of what we hope for, even when we can't physically see it. And if you go down a few verses, let me read verse, let me read verse 8. 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And then by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. As I read through this chapter, for those that follow the the reading plan, you'll know that Hebrews chapter 11 was part of that over the last couple of days. And, and, and yesterday afternoon, it felt like a place that I was able to anchor some of this conversation in this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, it became, uh, it just became wonderful. It became beautiful. It just became an oasis. It was just a place to anchor some of this stuff that I wanted to share this morning in. And so it, in ver- I read on to verse 12 because it says about uh, that his descendants, speaking of Abraham, from Abraham came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the shore. Abraham had left the place where, he'd, where, he, was, where he was building family, the place where he was longing to see his family and community built. And he left, and to go off on a wee bit of a tangent here for a moment, he left not knowing where he was going, found himself in, a, in, in temporary dwellings, for a period of time while he continued to follow and obey the call of God. And for us on Friday nights, part of, for me anyway, part of the reason to open up this space and say, guys, come and be a part of this if you can, if you want to, is to say that, that's, that feels like for us as a church, our, our, our greatest desire is that we would be a family on mission. And as family on mission, we want to make sure that all the family has a, has a say in what the mission looks like. For us, as I, as I look at Judith and Katie, for us it was really important. This was something we wanted to we wanted to give our lives to. But we're a family on mission, and so Kayla, Eli, and Jada, you've you've got a stake in this. You have a stake in where we go and what we do and what we give our attention and what we give our lives to. And we might be ones that are leading the way, or we might be the ones where the responsibility lies. But a family on mission knows that everyone has a stake. And so on Friday nights at half nine, we want to, we, I'm longing that you'd come and, 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 and find ourselves where we, where, where we are. Because we're in the tension of Abraham. I found myself just 
in a moment being like, Abraham, I'm, I'm identifying with you here because it feels like we were called to go. It feels like we were sent out, not knowing where we were going, but, but, but Father, would you, would you lead us? You take us to where you want us to go and, and, uh, and we'll do the temporary thing. We'll, we'll get, find a tent temporarily, a temporal place to dwell because we want to keep on hearing from you. We want to keep on responding to your voice and your call and your leading. So come and join us at half nine on Friday nights. But as, as, this, as, this, as the story goes on, Abraham, I, I think, struggles with the idea of uh, this call that is on his life, the destiny that has been that he has heard being spoken over him. And so God took him outside. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, God led him outside. Abraham, and I feel like, and, and I know it's easy at times to, to, to make the Bible say what you want it to say, but I find myself trying to engage really well with Abraham's story and what was going on with Abraham. It felt like that God was saying, Abraham, you don't get this. You don't see this. I need something. I need you to see something that is going to stir your imagination. I need something that, even though you can't physically see it now, I need need your imagination to be stirred. So come outside and look up. Come outside and look up. And as he looked up, he seen the stars in the sky. Stars in the sky more than he could possibly count. And it was with that image that God was able to say, Abraham, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. I believe that was a significant moment for Abraham when his imagination was stirred because he couldn't see it in the physical, but in his, mind, in his mind's eye, in his imagination, he was able to see. In his imagination, he was able to take hold of, of the promise using his imagination. And as we go on in, this, uh, in these few verses, verse 10, he was looking forward to the city. See, he still couldn't physically see this. He was in a temporal building. He was heading to a place that he did not know where he was going, but he was able to see. He was able to look forward and see the city of God. He was able to look forward and see something. In his mind, eye, he was able to see that city. He was able to see what it would be looked like to be part of something built where whose architect and whose founder was God. He couldn't see it in the physical, but God had so stirred his imagination that he was able to, he was able to look and see the stars, and it stirred him. He was able to, he had the information, but it almost like that wasn't enough. And so God stirred his imagination and that became the thing that caused him to go, even though he didn't know where he was going. And he was able to keep going. He was able to keep going because he'd caught a glimpse of the city. He caught a glimpse of what it was like to be, a, to be in something that was built, that was built by God himself. Anybody tracking with this? Please tell me some of this is making sense. One person. Yes, I'll take the one person. I'm more than happy. Verse 13. Verse 13 talks about this verse that in some ways it seems, it seems to take the, wind from, take the wind out of you. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. What does it say after? It says they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They never physically seen it. They never, uh, they never took hold of the things that they had been promised. What a challenge. But it still says that they saw it. And there's something about that that I think is so wonderful because, because what is the thing that is going to cause you to persevere? What is, going to, what is the thing that is going to cause you to maintain hope and to carry hope and to, and to keep going, to keep pursuing? I don't think information is enough. I think it's, it's, we, we want to be able to see it. And that's what, that's what I think caused these guys to keep going. 
they were able to keep going, they'd received the promise, and even though they hadn't physically seen it, they'd saw it and welcomed it from a distance. Their imagination had been stirred. Something within them had caught what God wanted to do, and he is faithful to fulfill what he wanted to do. Verse 23 speaks of Moses by faith. Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. And so I, I think something else is going on here. I know anybody in this room that is, is, has, has been a parent or is a parent or has been an, an aunt or an uncle or a granny or a granda, whenever you see your own flesh and blood three months old, this is no ordinary child. This is the best. There's no one like this. There's no one like this child. But I think, but I think for, there's something else going on here. I think there's something else that Moses' parents saw something. That even though physically what looked like was going on in Moses, was he going to survive? Was he going to make it? What would, what would Pharaoh's daughter, what would her response be when they found this Hebrew boy? Physically, I am sure what they seen was confusion and uncertainty but their imaginations I'm convinced had been stirred they began to believe that there was something more they began to believe that that there was destiny written over their boy's life and because of that they held on to hope because they seen some they were able to hold on they were able to keep believing for him verse 26 he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as still speaking of Moses sorry he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Eugene Peterson in the message uh, translates that verse as he had his eye on the eye. Sorry, he had his eye on the one that no eye could see. And so he was, he was ill-treated. He was in the wilderness. He had experienced disgrace for the sake. And, and actually, this is probably a different conversation altogether. He, uh, there's no mention of Jesus back in, but he suffered disgrace for the sake of Christ. And he was able to do it because he looked ahead. He had looked forward. His eye was on the one that no eye could see. And verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. To see with the mind, to see with the imagination that faculty that has been given to us. Listen, imagination is a gift from God. Imagination is a gift from God. And of course, it's been used to create the most wonderful films and, and all of fantasy and of make-believe. But is it, a, it is a gift from God. And I think there is an invitation for it to be redeemed. There is an invitation for it to be awakened. And this is a huge challenge for me because my imagination is rubbish. My imagination is really poor. I feel like I need to physically see something. But as I considered the life of Moses and, and, and his ability to persevere in spite of all that was going on around him, his ability to persevere even in spite of what he could physically see was because he, he, he looked ahead. He looked and he saw something. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, longing that this, I'm longing that this makes sense because I, I, I'm aware that some of this is like, could be subjective. I'm aware that we don't have it said here. We don't have it in, in black and white. What was going on in the imagination of Moses and in Abraham and all of these ones. But we have enough here to see that in spite was going on around them, they saw something. They lived towards what they had seen. And so if I can say practically, 
I can say practically what this looks like, and, and another disclaimer here, this is not name it and claim it. It is not. But as I, as I felt the Holy Spirit just speak these words over and over, awaken your imagination, son. Come on, my boy, awaken it. And we were there specifically. We just, I, I, over, the last, over the last few days, as we heard of people just among us, among the family who were just sick, I, I reluctant to over-spiritualize everything, but, but listening to Anastasia and talking about this pain in her tooth for two weeks, listening to Andrew talking about Lila and, and, uh, and others, just niggles and headaches and migraines and infections and, and pains and aches. And, and I just felt like, God, we want to contend for this. Many more, how many more text messages are you going to receive in somebody's sickness before you're going to, before you're going to do something? And it's good, it's nice to, to, to pray a prayer as you look at your phone and God, would you bless them, would you heal them and turn the phone off and set it back down. But I felt like in that moment, God, I want to contend for this. And we continue to hear the guys here being sick, real bad ankle pain, not able to put their, Allison, not able to put their weight on the ground. Heather having to have a, a monitor put on her, on her heart just to see what, why her breathing, what she's struggling with her breathing. It's like, God, we want to contend for this. And as I lay on the ground, trying to look up as God do it caused me to imagine began to began to in my mind's eye imagine Lila getting up from her bed began to imagine her making dinner and and feeling free began to imagine the kids coming and saying mom what happened what happened you're 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 walking about you're you're free from pain what happened what's going on I'm trying to replay this in my mind thinking of Julie Ash Julie McStay or Julie Donaldson sorry I'm thinking of Julie and like God, what it would be like for her to wake up this morning and just be free, to walk in wholeness. What would it be like and getting a picture of what that would look like? How I could just transform her life? How I could transform her as she enters into the workplace screaming children? How I could transform that and began to replay that over and over in my mind? And I wasn't saying, I'm, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing this name it and claim it stuff. I was just getting a picture. I was trying to look ahead. Even though I couldn't physically see it, even though in the, in the, in the physical it wasn't happening, it began, to, it began to look ahead. I don't know whether I'll receive it or not. These guys, these guys didn't receive it. I don't know whether I'll receive the, the, those things that were playing in my imagination, but I'll tell you one thing, it caused me to persevere. As it caught a wee glimpse of that, it caused me to persevere. It caused me to have hope. It caused something of hope to raise within me when I had something that I could see, when I could, something that I could look ahead to. When something in my mind's eye began to see what, what could possibly be, I found, it, I found it the most freeing experience. I found a moment just being able to say, God, this is, this is a gift from you. Our imaginations are a gift from you. And we've ignored it. We've placed it in a, in a, in a different place. It's a faculty that we've dismissed. And we want more information. We want more things that we can see. And I'm, I long for that. I'm longing to see more stuff. I'm believing that their gifts are available for us today, that signs and wonders are miracles for us today. I'm longing to see them. I'm longing for more information. I love to read and I'm wanting more information, but it feels like we need more than that. And this is for all of us. It's going to look different for all of us. It's going to be more challenging for us than it is for others. But as I consider the heart behind what we've wanted to do from September, how do we rearrange our ordinary, everyday lives to put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice for the sake of the world? How do we do it? And I want to suggest this is available for all of us. The Holy Spirit, you would awaken our imagination. As I read through the, as you read through the book of Daniel, 
Like some of the stuff in Daniel is, is hard for us to, to get our head around, I know. But as time, as Daniel 7, I think, Daniel talks about how he was lying in his bed or how he was in a certain place and visions began to pass through his mind. I'm convinced it was a Holy Spirit-given imagination. I think of Revelation. Again, some people, it's hard to even go there for some of us, but I think even that, this is, this is John's Spirit-inspired imagination that we're getting an insight into. Spirit-inspired imagination. So let me, oh man, sorry, let me land this. The challenge for me, the challenge for all of us, as, as for some of us, as good as this might sound, as attainable as this might be, the challenge for us today in the society, the world that we live in, is how do we control our mind? How do we, how do we have it renewed? And, uh, and if anybody's heard me talk in, in any place over the last two or three weeks, this has been my challenge. We are, I am in a place, and I think for many of us, we are attentive to so many things that we end up becoming attentive to nothing, especially what is deepest inside of us. And so I, as I go back and I, and I think through some of the places that Neville has brought us over the last few weeks, I'm personally at a place, and maybe it's the same for some of you in the room, that we need an Elijah moment. I, I am longing for, if you ask my prayer for myself at the minute, I'm just wanting an Elijah moment. All of the other things that are going on, and some of them, most of them are, are good things, but we give our attention to all of them that become attentive to nothing. And that's what I loved about that sort of simple, practical example in the prayer room. There's so much to pray for here. There's so many needs that are written up on this board, but actually I just want to become attentive to one thing. And I became attentive for, for, for five or ten minutes to Lila. And then I became attentive to Julie for five or ten minutes. And all of the other things that, that, that needed prayer and Nev had them covered was to become attentive to the one thing and for my imagination to be awakened, for something within me to stir and begin to f- pursue that, to fight for that, to press in to that. And there's times where all the craziness just needs to die down, where all of the stuff, and, and, and I'm aware that there's people in the room that have busy lives, kids at times don't allow you to practically allow the crazy to die down but maybe there's a way of us putting it into the diary get your phones out today and put it into the diary a moment for the crazy to die down a moment to wait for the storm for the earthquake for the wind for it all to pass and Elijah had experienced the firefall and maybe he thought that's where God was going to come and speak and recover his prophetic soul recover uh, the thing that he had lost in the place of fear, but all the crazy had died, died down and all that we were left with, all that Elijah was left with was a gentle whisper. And again, if I can be bold enough to say that our English translation doesn't give us the full picture of what's going on, it, is, it literally means sheer silence or a gentle blowing. And that's what Elijah needed. Elijah needed to recover his prophetic soul. And I think we need to recover our ability to see. We need to recover our ability to hear. We need to recover our ability to imagine. And everything else died down. And he met Elijah. He met Elijah with a quiet breath. Yahweh, God, creator, father, sustainer. He met Elijah with a quiet breath. When all the crazy had died down. His mind had been... uh, occupied by so many other things in this moment 
he experienced the breath of God. God's life being breathed into him. On a Wednesday night, we, we shared briefly about it points us forward to Jesus. Elijah, in fear of Jezebel, ran and needed something recovered. And it was the same with, with the disciples. In fear of the Jews, they found themselves running. In fear of the Jews, found themselves laying down their apostolic call that was placed upon them. And just like Jesus, he came and he gently blew. He breathed on them. And new life was restored. Resurrection life was breathed into the disciples. So I'm longing for that. Really selfishly this morning, that's what I'm longing for. Longing for an Elijah moment. Where everything else that occupies my mind and occupies my time will die down and experience the breath of God. And new life will be breathed in. Resurrection life will be breathed in. And it would be breathed in in such a way that would cause us to dream again. Breathe in in such a way that would cause our imagination to stir once again, to see with our mind's eye, to have that confidence and that, that assurance that even when it's not there to be seen physically, that we begin to see it with the eyes of faith. We begin to see it with our mind's eye. And the challenge, I think, for us is that, like they did in Hebrews chapter 11, that we too would live, live in such a way that we're going to see it. But even if we don't, even if we don't, our kids are going to walk in it. So for, so for me, I'm, there's times over the last couple of days where as I'm longing for my imagination to be awakened, I begin to imagine what life would look like if revival came. <laughs> what Rachel would look like if revival came. And I can't physically see it. There's a part of me just even with the information of how good God is and how powerful he is, sometimes they, even then I can't, I can't, I can't imagine and so I'm, Holy Spirit, would you awaken it? Would you awaken my imagination? And whenever I begin to glimpse with my mind's eye what Rich Hill could look like, what this county could look like, there's times where that feels enough that I'm going to pursue that. And I believe I'm going to see it. But even if I don't, worst case scenario, my kids are going to walk in it. They're two pretty good options. We would contend for this. We would imagine it. We would see for it. We would see it and look forward and look toward it. And it would cause us to persevere with hope and with joy, and to go after it like we've never done before. And even though we've seen it from a distance, we might, we, might never, we might never fully walk in it. The worst case scenario, our kids will. Our kids could get to walk in something that we could only have imagined. So Father, would you, uh, would you awaken something in us today? God, even in the quietness of this moment, we want to take advantage of it. We want to take advantage of it and allow, allow us to see. God, give us a glimpse the thing that we're contending for, the thing that we're tempted to give up hope for, would you cause us to see it? Thank you for the gift of our imagination. And God, there's times where it's used for the, for the wrong reasons, for the wrong purposes. God, but like anything else, we, we, we choose to believe that it could be redeemed, that it can be awakened to uh, the Holy Spirit imagination. If the words of, of Tozer say we would, uh, that asked, longed for an inner vision of Jesus. So would you give us an inner vision of Jesus? Would you give us an inner vision of his words and his ways? And as we begin to worship, as we close our time, that you do something beautiful in our hearts, do something beautiful in our lives, do something beautiful, beautiful in our will and our emotion, God. We do something in our imagination. Awaken my imagination, Holy Spirit. Awaken our imagination. In Jesus' name.